All right. Let's the rest of us open our Bibles to the book of James. To read all of one verse. This is not this is not a Mother's Day message specifically, but I promise you there is a Mother's Day element to it, which we'll get to. It has a it has so there's a small amount of mother's content in this. Mostly, though, it's just an introduction to the book of James. The Lord has put it on my heart to do a series in the book of James. As the Lord leads, we'll go back to the Gospel of Matthew. We kind of got halfway through it, and then we took a detour into Philippians. Now we're taking a detour into James, and when the Lord leads, we'll go back to uh, Matthew. It will still be there. It's all good. We're going verse by verse through the Bible. Not too long ago, I think about three or four years ago, we actually went through the book of James on Thursday nights. And I remember even back then thinking to myself and even having some of the people that are there on Thursday nights say, you know, you ought to do some of this on Sunday morning. And, and you know, sometimes I would say to them, yeah, well, we, we, we should do that. And of course, it's taken uh, three or four years to get here. But, but, here, but here we are. So uh, let me say a short prayer for us. And then into the Word here, just for a few moments this morning, we'll go. Our Father in heaven, dear Lord God, thank you that Christian is back here with us today, Lord God. Thank you for that. Thank you for the the words of gratitude to you expressed by his Father. And we rejoice for that. Thank you for his father and his mother who are here, and his sister and the whole family, Lord, who is here. And thank you for watching over our dear young brother, Lord God. We thank you for everyone who's here today and we pray that just in the few moments we've set aside for this that you help us to read and to listen and to pay attention to your word. And we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of James simply starts like this. James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. And then right from there, he launches into a section that will be at the beginning of next week where he talks about the place of trials in the life of a Christian. But I wanted to say something about just James as an introduction to the book of James because it's important to understand what we can about the context of the book and understanding who he is and to what extent we're able to understand how he comes to the plates where he writes this letter, a letter that in the New Testament is very uniquely addressed. It's not addressed in the way that Paul would address his letters to the saints of so-and-so, to the saints are at so-and-so. He addresses it in a way that is very Jewish-sounding, right? To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, which sets a very interesting context Um, I don't want you to think that the book of James is somehow only addressed to Jews. Obviously, that's not true. But that has something to do with James's experience of uh, being in what we now know as the Christian faith. But in the ancient times, shortly after Jesus was on the earth, the Bible seems to, in the book of Acts, simply call the way. It was it was Jesus, it was named after Jesus, he was the way and the truth and the life. And so what Jesus did was seen as what the prophets long 
prophesied about that the Messiah would come. And among the early faithful, it was entirely Jews. And the Christian church, you could say, started in Jerusalem at a, at a Jewish holiday that we read about last week when we read in Acts chapter 2. You can sort of say that was the birth of the church as it was born among Jews who were scattered abroad and had come to uh, Jerusalem for Pentecost. The Mother's Day facet of this that I find interesting, well, has to do with James's mother. This is not James the Apostle who was the brother of John. We can know that for certainty because he was the first of the apostles to actually be killed. We talked about Herod before. We are told that Herod had, in Acts chapter 12, we are told that Herod had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Right? And so that James, the James the apostle, was the first martyr among the apostles. Stephen being the first martyr among all of the Christians, but, but uh, James being the first from the apostles. There was another James among the apostles. We're told, we're told that he was the son of a man named Alphaeus, James the son of Alphaeus. It's not really plausible that that James would be the author of this letter because almost nothing else is said about him. He's actually he's obviously a great apostle and a great servant of the Lord. The record of what he did in service to the Lord is is not given to us in the Bible specifically, but uh, we know that all of the apostles were faithful in spreading the gospel in the early days. But this James, and there are a number of other Jameses mentioned, it was a very common name in, uh, in, those, in those days, as it still is reasonably today. But uh, the James here is almost certainly the James who was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, Right? And he was the James who emerged in the early days of the church in Jerusalem as the leader of that church. And there are some really interesting things, just little tidbits that are said about him before we kind of look at some of the things that he was involved with in the book of Acts. Uh, first of all, if James is the half-brother of the Lord, then who is James's mother? Mary, right? Because we know that uh, Mary, very well documented in the Bible and, and known even to those maybe who have never read the Bible, is the mother of Jesus. And Jesus' birth, of course, was miraculous. Mary was simply found to be with child by the power of the Holy Spirit, even when she was a virgin, and then married uh, Joseph and gave birth uh, to the Lord Jesus. And of course, the record of who Mary is, is best known in that role, that she was the mother of Jesus. But what often gets a little buried in the history of this family, if you will, is that Mary and Joseph went on to have other children and had a very normal family. Normal in that there was a father and mother and there were kids. Probably not really normal in what their role was among other people. But, but they did just do a lot of common things. We're told that Joseph was a carpenter and, and he had these other brothers and sisters. And there's a couple of 
references to them in the New Testament. Um, let's take a look at one real quick, just so you can see what I'm talking about. Just real quick, turn to Matthew chapter 13 and verse 54. So you can see this. Matthew 13, 54 tells us, which is very close to where we left off in the Gospel of Matthew, by the way, so in a way we are sort of returning to it. But when he had come to his own country, that's Jesus, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? A reference to Joseph. Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James? Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they so, and so they were offended at him. And of course, that's where Jesus makes the famous statement, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. And he couldn't do many works there because of their unbelief. But we're actually introduced even with names to some of the members of Jesus' family, right? And so you see there that that James is one of uh, Jesus' brothers. And the reason that I can say with a, a fair amount of certainty that that's the same James that wrote the book of James in the Bible, well, was number one, because the, uh, the more famous apostle James was put to death by Herod. But secondly, you have the corroboration you don't have to turn there for time's sake, but you have the corroboration of what the Apostle Paul wrote in two places. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 19, plainly, the Apostle Paul refers to James as the Lord's brother. So that's, that's pretty easy to see. But then in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and actually, why don't we turn to that one? Because this is a, a really good affirmation of some of the things that we're saying here. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1. That was Galatians 1.19 before, by the way, in case I didn't say that. But this is a famous passage about the Lord's resurrection. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, that's a reference to Peter, then by the twelve. And, and that passage of Scripture is often referred to to show the very succinct summary of what the gospel message is, right? Paul begins 1 Corinthians by talking about how uh, he determined to know nothing among them except Christ and Him crucified. And then after dealing with all of the things that he deals with, he kind of arrives at this sort of a conclusion where he just affirms some of those basic facts of the gospel, which is what we all stand on. It's what we commemorated at the Lord's table. But then verse 6, there's just this interesting little tidbit where he says, After that he was seen by over 500 brethren of at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, 
but some have fallen asleep. Then he says, look at this. After that, he was seen by James and then by all the apostles. Right? And this, and then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time because at the time that the Lord had risen from the dead, obviously the Apostle Paul was not among the ranks of the apostles yet. He was Saul and, and among the ranks of a very different group of people, right? So, but you see that you have here Paul referring in 1 Corinthians to the same person plainly that he's referring to in Galatians, which he calls in that book, the Lord's brother. And what you see in this passage of Scripture is that when Jesus rose from the dead, and you don't read about this in the Gospel accounts, this is just something that Paul conveys here, is that the Lord made an appearance to James. And James was, as we know from the book of Acts, which we'll read in just a couple of minutes here, a very significant and important player in the early Jerusalem church. Now, I told you that some of these things had some pertinence to Mother's Day. And it's a little bit of a lost story, a little bit of a lost thing. And I think some of that is because perhaps of the pervasive knowledge of some of the Roman Catholic traditions concerning Mary. And of course, you know, and not really my purpose to just go into all of that, but you know that, you know that in the Catholic Church, a, a almost almost a parallel religion has emerged around Mary where she is where she is venerated as like a mediator even a co-mediator with Jesus between God and men that of course is not biblical she is uh, uh, viewed as someone who was perpetually a virgin meaning that she gave birth to Jesus and then miraculously remained a virgin for the rest of her life this is obviously not taught in the Bible uh, in the Catholic religious, two more quick things so you know what I'm talking about. I grew up in this. Some of you did. In the Catholic Church, you know, they teach that Mary was conceived without sin. And a lot of people don't realize this, but the Catholic Feast of the Immaculate Conception has nothing to do with the conception of Jesus. It has to do with the conception of Mary. In, I don't know if you knew that or not. But, but in her mother's womb, Mary, they believe, was conceived without sin. And then there is what is called the Feast of the Assumption in the Catholic Church, which teaches that Mary was assumed bodily into heaven and never died. This, this of course, has no place in any understanding of anything that's talk, taught about in the Bible. You hear almost nothing about Mary after the accounts of Jesus, and even during the accounts of Jesus, you hear very little. There's no record among anything that Paul wrote in his epistles or even that James wrote or, or any of the other writers that venerate her in this way. And so, unfortunately, the pervasiveness of some of those traditions which are distinct to that religion, what they have done is they have caused us, even people outside Roman Catholicism, they have caused us to not notice that Mary had other children and she had other sons and I want you to stop and think on Mother's Day here about the challenge that Mary must have faced being maybe the one person along with Joseph, right? So two of them. But Mary especially being that one person who right from the beginning was told what was going on concerning Jesus. I mean, she's told flat out who he is and that God has highly favored you and, and, you know, 
and she knew this, and she acknowledged this, and spoke so many eloquent words. But then, of course, she and Joseph go on after Jesus is born and have a family, and they have other children. And among these children is this guy named James. So that's why I called the message, if you saw the title in your bulletins, one of Mary's other sons. Aside from her motherhood over Jesus, Mary's the mother of James. What is James? Who is James? James is a guy who emerges in the Jerusalem church as one of its leaders, if not the leader, even though he's not one of the original 12. Even though in his life, when he grew up with his much more famous brother, was not necessarily seen to be among those who believed in him. And so Mary goes from being the mother of Jesus after he dies and rises from the dead and goes back to heaven to being the mother of James as well as the mother of Jude and the mother of a couple of other guys and a mother of some daughters as well. That's a challenging existence for a mom. Not only is she the mother of the Messiah, but she's the mother of the pastor of the first church, most likely, right? And the mother of someone who wrote this great epistle that we're going to undertake to study. Turn with me to Mark chapter 3. I want you to see uh, some of what I think must have been challenging for Mary to hold together and hopefully is something that would be encouraging for all of us. In Mark chapter 3 and verse 13, we see Mark's reference to Jesus calling his first twelve to himself. Then in verse 20, in Mark chapter 3, we're told the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. So he's got this massive following. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And without question, those who are covered by the moniker, his own people, include his family, which I'll show you here in a moment. So Jesus is in this house, and Jesus has all of these people gathered together. He has this great multitude together so that they can't even eat bread. And he's got all of this going on. And then he has some of his own people coming and trying to collect them back. You know, uh, Jesus is kind of getting a little out of hand here with all of this. He's out of his mind, they actually said. So he calls them, in verse 22, you say that the scribes come down from Jerusalem and they make the statement about him uh, having Beelzebub by the ruler of demons, he casts out demons. And, and Jesus then makes the statement about blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, okay? And so Jesus is really like ratcheting up his defense of his doctrine, even in the face of the accusations of the religious leaders. Then you come to verse 31, which is a continuation of this same story. And in verse 31 it says, Then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude was sitting around him. And they said to him, they said, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, 
Here are my mother and my brothers. And whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. And then from that point, you begin to read a lengthy section where Jesus teaches them in parables, starting with the parable of the sower. But I want you to put yourself here on Mother's Day in Mary's place. Jesus is about 30 years old. He's a grown man at the time all this is going on. Mary has known from the beginning that Jesus is the Messiah. And all these things that happened, like right after he was born, when Simeon held the baby and spoke over him, when Anna the prophetess shows up in the temple and speaks what it is that she says, it says Mary ponders all these things in her heart and just holds these things in her heart. Mary knows for all these years, and Mary is raising this family along with Joseph. And Joseph, at some point, it would seem, has passed away because by the time you get to this point and at the end of Jesus' life, you always read of Mary and you never read of Joseph. So I think it's very plausible that Joseph isn't on the scene anymore. So now you have Mary who's holding this family together where she's got one son who is God's and she knows is the Messiah and she's got a bunch of other sons who think he's crazy, right? And she shows up even one day along with the rest of his people, including his brothers and his sisters and even her, to kind of collect him to bring him back to what they thought would be a sane life. Jesus, what is going on here? Right? So Mary is the one who's trying as mom to hold this whole thing together. I think it's very plausible to see. And of course, while no details are given, and I don't want to be too crazy speculating about it, I think it's reasonable to conclude that Mary was very faithful and Mary was very devoted. Look, even at the cross, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but when Jesus is on the cross and Mary is there before the cross, who is it that Jesus says, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother? It wasn't James. It was John, not part of the family. Mary has other children, and yet it's the apostle John that he says. What does that say, Right? It says that perhaps by that time, the rest of the family, even by the time of his crucifixion, perhaps the rest of the family was not quite where it was, what, where, where you would expect it to be. And then we read that after Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to James, right? The Apostle Paul tells us that. So some interesting family stuff is going on there, isn't it? You know, I don't know if you never thought about it that way. But, but, when, but when Jesus is on the cross, it's not to James or to Joseph or to Judas or, or, or any of the daughters or anyone that he says, go take care of mom. He says it to someone who's not part of the immediate family. He says it to John. And from that day, John took her into his home. And then when Jesus rises from the dead, he appears to James. And then James beautifully emerges. And I only have a few minutes to show you this, but turn to Acts chapter 15. This serves to give us not only a picture of the inspirational mother figure that Mary certainly was, but it gives us a good introduction to the book of James and who he was. And I've made reference in other contexts to this story well. But in Acts chapter 15, in the beginning of the chapter, we're told that certain men came down from Judea, that is to Antioch. They came down from Judea 
and they began to teach in the church. They walked into the church and taught the people, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. Now, if someone walked into this church and said, unless you're circumcised according to what the Old Testament says, you can't be saved, we would have a pretty easy time opening up our Bible and dealing with that because we would simply show them this passage of Scripture among many others. But they didn't have that back then. All they had were the Old Testament Scriptures, including what Moses had written about circumcision. And in those early days, Christianity was still very much rooted in among the Jewish people and based in Jerusalem, even though it was Antioch where they were first called Christians. So what happens is this council is convened because Paul and Barnabas decide to take some of the other brethren from Antioch with them to travel to Jerusalem to visit the leaders of the church there and deal with this question. Do Gentiles need to get circumcised in order to be saved? Because from Paul's perspective, no way. These people believed the gospel when I preached. The Holy Spirit came to them. There were even miracles done among them. How can you add to that by being circumcised and observing the things of the law? But still, you had those other types who had their heels dug in. And they were like, no, they need to be circumcised. And now look at this Jerusalem council. And I won't read the whole thing. But in Jerusalem, it says they had a big argument about it in verses 6 and 7. And then Peter stands up and Peter gives them the account of how God had appeared to him as recorded in Acts chapter 10 with the vision of that sheet that fell three times and said, kill and eat, kill and eat. And had a, the sheet was filled with all these unclean animals and how that was a picture of the fact that God was opening the gospel to the Gentiles. So Peter does that. And then Paul and Barnabas stand up in verse 12 and everyone kept silent as Paul and Barnabas told them about all the miracles and the wonders that had been done. Now look at verse 13. And after they had become silent, who stands up? James. James. And watch what James does. And this is not James the Apostle. This is James the half-brother of the Lord, which is why Paul refers to him in his writings. Because Paul had a couple of very wonderful encounters with James. There's another one in chapter 21 that I have no time to get to. Right? But this is, this is James, who grew up with Jesus being very suspicious of his big famous brother. James says, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon, that's Peter, has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, as it is written. I'll just stop here for a minute. What do good pastors do? Above anything else, when things arise and things need to be dealt with, they tell everyone, listen, and then they open their Bibles and they read. And this is exactly what James does. After Peter describes what happened to him, after Paul describes what happened to them, James says, listen everyone, here's what the Bible says. And James says, after this I will return and will build the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Look, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord who does all these things. Those of you who have been around on 
Thursday nights recently. That's a quotation you know from the book of Amos. So James stands up and basically says what? Peter tells us what happened to him. Paul and Barnabas tells us what happened to them. But God's word, which is the final authority, says that when the gospel was poured out, it would include the Gentiles who are called by my name. And when he says that, that's basically the end of it. Verse 18, this is James speaking. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it pleased the apostles and the elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. It names some of them, and it has this letter then recorded that was written. And if you want to know, if you really want to know the important effect that this has on your own lives, one of the reasons why, with confidence, a church in the 21st century in America, among almost entirely Gentiles, does not fashion itself in an external way after the Jewish religion, it is because of this council that they had in Jerusalem, because of James standing up and presenting what the Word of God said, and then writing this letter, which was distributed among the churches, which led Paul to write things like Galatians. I marvel so much that you're departing from the the gospel so quickly. If someone comes to you preaching anything else, like you need to be circumcised in order to be saved, let him be accursed. That's right from Galatians chapter 1. You see? So James goes from being this suspicious brother of the Lord to one who the Lord himself then appears to after he rises from the dead, and in very short order becomes a leader among the church in Jerusalem and uh, convenes and oversees a council that becomes historically one of the most important meetings men have ever held on this planet in the history of the world, the ramifications of which are still in the church today. That is James. That's Mary's other son. One of Mary's other sons. And she had other sons too. Judas is a longer version of Jude. That's the book of Jude in your Bible. We're told he's James's brother. Now, it's very interesting. We know that kind of two things going on here, which is who is James and how does he emerge as the man who wrote this very important letter that we're going to study? And what was Mary's role in all of that? How challenging a life it must have been for Mary knowing who Jesus was and holding the whole family together even after Joseph was gone, while even some of her other children were very suspicious concerning Jesus. Look how God caused it all to turn out. You think he used Mary in her life? That's the, that's, that's the part of Mary's story that's lost because who she really is is lost in so much of the tradition that is so pervasive about her. But she really must have been a remarkable woman used by God. A remarkable mother used by God to hold it all together. 
One of her sons is the savior of the world. Another of her sons was the leader of the first church in the history of the world. And wrote a letter that we're going to take some time to study. So when James begins his letter, and I'll close with this, When he starts off his letter, what he says is, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. What an interesting way to identify yourself with your brother who you were suspicious of in your younger days, just a few years earlier. Bondservant means slave. I'm a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Pretty incredible, right? And when he says to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, that's the reason he addresses the letter that way is because his experience as a leader in the church in Jerusalem was that he was a leader of Christians among Jews who had come from everywhere in the world to Jerusalem. And that's where Christianity got its start. And James is the leader, the overseer of that church. And so when James addresses his letter, he addresses it in a way that is consistent with his experience of Christianity, much as the Apostle Paul addresses his letters by saying to the saints that are at such and such, to the saints that are at such and such, to the saints that are at such and such. But the letter is for all of us. Because not yet known fully to James, perhaps fully realized, was to what extent the gospel was exploding among the Gentiles. But aren't we glad that that happened? And so we have this letter from this man, from that family, all these years later, to read and to study and to be edified by. That's our little introduction to the book of James. And our little, our little nugget of Mother's Day truth for you as well. Let's all stand up together and we'll close our service with a prayer.